All of the newest episodes of Note to Self are now available on the Luminary Podcast app. It's free to download, and you can also listen to other podcasts from WNYC Studios, like Radiolab, Two Dope Queens, Snap Judgment, Here's the Thing with Alec Baldwin, and others. Luminary Premium is the only place where you can enjoy the entire new season of Note to Self, plus new original podcasts you won't find anywhere else, from Trevor Noah, Roxanne Gay, Guy Raz, Lena Dunham, and many more. And you can enjoy them ad-free. Start your free trial by going to luminary.link slash note to self or download the Luminary app for free. Listener supported. WNYC Studios. Hi, friends. Manoush Zamarodi here, the host of New Tech City. We've got a little something special for you. Last week on the podcast, I talked to Ladar Levison and Bill Binney about privacy and paranoia. We called them the other Ed Snowdens because they each personally stood up to the U.S. government to fight for your privacy, whether you asked for it or not. Pretty incredible stories from the guy who built the encrypted email service that Ed Snowden actually used and the NSA's top coder who quit after 9-11 when he saw that his algorithms were being used to track Americans. So check out the podcast if you haven't yet. If you already listened to that episode, then you also heard me say, just email us if you want the wonky parts of this conversation, the parts that got edited out. Well, dozens of you emailed us. Dozens. And so here are Ladar and Bill uncut. When you put two of the world's top encryption experts in a room together, this is where the discussion goes. So, Bill, if if a regular person decides after seeing you in Citizen Four and Ladar, this documentary, if they decide they want to start living the private life, where would you tell them to start? I would I would say you could take a PGP or anything else, uh, uh, any encryption that's on the open market, and use it as like a a cover encryption, but have have a sub encryption that's your own that's uniquely designed by you and not shared with the government because the algorithms and so on are basically half the battle. And those go through NIST and various other places to look at, and NSA has copies of those algorithms. So, I mean, you know, that's half the battle to get to it. The only problem then is the key. And so, you know, do different kinds of attacks on the systems, either on the computers or do like man-in-the-middle kind of things. And you could you could get those keys and so on, and, and then you read what they're sending. So... But if you have but your Bill, own encryption, you're, you're saying that all of us need to go out and be get PhDs in cryptography no, so that we can develop that. our it own algorithms. We're not all. all as smart as you. It's not that. There, there's some fairly. Uh, you, we could you could lay out. In fact, I, I could lay out some designs that would that people could vary and make make uh, variations on. The more variations, the more difficult it is too. By the way, so leaving up these very leaving these variations to the individual would make it much more difficult on a grander scale. But there does seem to be a sort of consumer moment that's happening with the tech companies. So Apple and Google, they just debuted new encryption features yeah, on well, their phones. See, is that yeah. is that good? Is that or is well, it you see that's part of the problem is they give back they put back doors in these systems and weaken systems for them to break. So uh, that's also part of the problem. So you need some honest broker to 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 uh, bring some products on on the marketplace that aren't corrupted by the government. So who who is that honest broker? Is it something like well, it's hard for me to tell. I tell you, it's hard. I, it seems like all of them are, in in one way or another, been forced by the government to do what the, what they what they want. 
So Bill, I don't you're, really... you're touching on the very problem, which is yeah, how paranoid yeah. do we need to be? Can we you see, trust... that's, why, that's why when I say the individual makes up their own encryption system, that the government can't do anything about that except go at that individual, and then they know, right? But who do they use that encryption system to communicate with? The, the people in their community that they're interested in covering their, their uh, communications with. I mean, if they have something they want to say that in private to a sub, subset of people, then those are the people you want to give that kind of uh, capability to. And you could claim Fifth Amendment rights at that point and take it into court as an unconstitutional act. Ladar, I mean, what's the answer to your own question? How paranoid to. do we need to be? I, I don't know if I have the answer to that because I'm not on the other side of that equation. I haven't been inside those walls listening to those discussions, <clears throat> so I really don't know how far they're willing to go. Um, but my fear is that we're going to get to a point where even walking into a big box electronics store and buying um, a computer anonymously off the shelf is not going to be enough to protect our privacy because it'll come shipped um, from the factory with some undocumented features that allows them to monitor our activities and our communications. And and that's sort of my fear, um, that the more prevalent um, encrypted communication becomes, the more difficult it will be to protect those keys that Bill spoke about, because that's really what it's coming down to, that's right. is can you protect those keys? And that was really at the heart of my case, was they wanted the key for my business so that they could masquerade as LavaBit on the internet and intercept all of the protected communications between my servers and all of my customers. And they just expected me to take it on faith that the only thing that they would look at, the only information they would record, would be the metadata associated with the accounts that they were authorized to monitor. And, of course, we know that isn't true, just if for no other reason, based on the comments made by the <clears throat> FBI agents when they presented the order. Um, but Bill, it's yeah. it, it's a brave new world. Bill, I don't know if you know, but Ladar has a new product called Darkmail. Um, Ladar, do you want to explain it to Bill? Well, Darkmail is really about taking... Um, the technology that were afforded with PGP and redesigning it and integrating um, what's necessary into the mail protocols themselves so that the encryption can happen automatically. And trying to do it in as close a way as possible that it's resistant to manipulation um, by an advanced attacker. So you mean that if the authorities asked you for the information, you couldn't give it to them if you wanted to because it's encrypted at the source? As a service provider, I wouldn't be able to because the, the whole basis of PGP, the way it works is that when the message leaves your computer, it's encrypted in such a way that the only two people on the planet who can read it are yourself and the person that you're sending the message to, or more specifically, um, the people who control your private key and the person who controls the private key associated with the other end of the conversation. And that what that means is that the service providers that the message passes through and route from one person to another, even though they may hold and have access to that encrypted message, are not able to decipher it and discover what was actually said. It's, it's like a trap door under a community cipher, yeah. So you but, got... Yeah, go, Bill, what's your reaction to dark mail? Is that something that you would use? Would you recommend it to just, you know, normal people in your life? Is it is it time to start using things like encrypted email? Well, it, it, it adds a layer of complexity to the problem. I mean, if you start to collect uh, hundreds of millions, or if not billions of emails and so on, or transactions that are encrypted like that, 
uh, it, it adds that layer of complexity to being able to read them. What, so, it, what it does is it makes mass surveillance technologically impossible because every time they want to intercept a communication, they have to go after the key. Well, yes, but uh, still the externals are, uh, for a traffic analytic approach of building your communities and so on, could still so be metadata. that. Yeah. So there there are actually elements of the, the dark mail system that are designed specifically to obfuscate and minimize metadata for that very reason. Yeah, I, I, I understand that, yeah. Uh, but uh, still, they have ways of getting back. I mean, the, 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 there are two parts to this. One is the corporation's contribution, and the other is their, their access to the uh, fiber optic networks around the world, uh, specifically in the United States. If you look at the United States, Fairview is the main program they're using inside the United States to collect all the content and communications, both phone and email and anything on the Internet. Uh, it, Fairview is that program, and it has on the order of 180 to 100 taps on the fiber optic networks around the 48 states of the United States and the lower continent. Bill, let so, me ask you this. Yeah. You know, the the relationship between the intelligence community and the telecom companies is, is very well documented. It goes all the way back to the, the 50s with AT&T. Do you think that the provisions like the one in Kalia, which requires telephone networks here in the United States to provide access to the intelligence communities and what they're trying to basically do the same thing to our Internet service providers, do you think that's healthy for a free and fair democracy? Uh, not the way they – certainly not the way they've been uh, applying it. I mean, uh, bef- under the FISA law- laws, uh, in order to do any kind of uh, monitoring inside the United States, they had to have a warrant. And the warrant had to specifically state who they were after and what the information was they were going to try to get under the Fourth Amendment. You know, that's basically the requirement for that warrant. But uh, what they've done is they shifted to using Executive Order 12333, which under Section 2C3, um, it says basically they can collect anything if they're focusing or trying to find uh, activity on international uh, crime, uh, dope smuggling, for example, or terrorism, if they're after that, and that's what their target is, and everything else incidental collection can be kept, that's permitted to be kept. So in other words, that's how they're collecting all the data on U.S. citizens under that executive order primarily. And it, it's it's basically looked at as incidental collection. Not they're not They say they're not targeting it, okay, but but they're collecting it and storing it. And that's why they had to build places like Bluffdale with a million square foot, 100,000 square foot of storage space. They just broke ground last summer on a 600,000 square foot storage facility over here on Fort Meade. And they also had a 400,000 square foot facility in San Antonio. And they've got numerous other storage around the country and overseas. So the reason they're having to build all this storage is because they're collecting all this content data on U.S. communications. If they were only after metadata, you could put the metadata relationships in a, in a, of, of the world over hundreds of years in, in a space about a 20-foot by 40-foot space. That's all you would need to put all that metadata on all the, all the, uh, all the domains, financial, phone communications, network uh, for the, for the uh, Internet and so on. That could all be kept in that kind of space. Well, in uh, Manoush, I think what Bill is touching upon is the fact that when you collect this much content on the entire world, you give the people who control that database the ability to go back and look at it historically. Retroactively. Um, with colored glasses and paint anybody as a criminal. 
That's cool. Um, just based <clears throat> on their innocent actions. And plus, yeah. Plus, there's ahead, another go. important point to that. It gives them uh, all the kinds of information on everybody in in the world, which means they have the ability to find something that would be useful in blackmail for anybody or or. If they can't get directly at you, they'll do like the KGB did. They'll look for somebody you care about and find something on them. So it's a pretty standard uh, approach uh, <clears throat> that totalitarian states have used down through history. I mean, it's nothing new. So, guys- I mean, just going back to my case from last summer, the FBI wasn't exactly shy about threatening me when I basically reacted to their request by hiring a lawyer. That to them, just the act of not immediately turning over that encryption key and giving them the access they wanted and going out and hiring and consulting a lawyer as to the legality of it was an act of dissent that warranted me being put under surveillance, dragged before a judge a thousand miles away at my own expense on a moment's notice. Um, You know, I was really portrayed as being a dissident, even a criminal, I'm willing to break the law just because I wanted to ensure that what was going on was both legal and constitutional. Right. Guys, well, I just want to— that's what they're doing. They're destroying our democracy. This is the greatest threat to our democracy since the Civil War. I want to do a quick reset, and this is—I want to go back, and I want to start, and I just want to do a very quick section with the two of you about best practices, sort of basic tips for consumers— who won't know what the hell you were just talking about and who just need to integrate into this into their life in some easy sort of way. So I want to just, you know, Edward Snowden, he did an interview with The New Yorker last week, and he said to people, avoid Dropbox, Facebook, and Google. What, Bill, can I ask you first, what are your sort of top three tips? I I basically refuse to change my behavior for anybody, and uh, that's why I'm that's why I'm saying everything publicly. I don't encrypt anything, and it be, that's me. Because if if they take me into court, I want to be able to deal with it in the open, and they can't hide it. So that's one of the reasons I do that. That's the primary one. Uh, uh, it's hard to say because they have so much resource and so much in the way of, of power. And the ability to threaten people like like uh, like you've just heard how how they threaten any company they've threatened uh, you know all kinds of companies like with uh, fining two hundred fifty thousand dollars a day for not complying or things like that ridiculous kinds of things so uh, and uh, we haven't even talked about the other technical capabilities they have like actively attacking your computer or mm-hmm. any or taking control of all the switches and servers in the network or any of that I mean. That that's the kind of power. I mean, we're giving them our tax dollars over ten billion dollars a year to do this. So if they need more money, they'll go to Congress and say, "Give us more money to do it." So whatever resource they need, they get, and it ultimately comes from the people, and it's being used against the people. So and that's my, one that's of the most real. disturbing parts of it is that our very own tax dollars are being used yes. against us. That's so, right. So, Bill, I want to ask you, and maybe Ladar, you should answer too. From what you're saying, then, I should buy a cell phone where I can remove the battery or buy, I don't know, one of those pouches, a metal pouch that I can stick my a phone Faraday in. A Faraday bag. Exactly. Well, here, here's another option, too. You know those uh, throwaway phones? Uh, you can just uh, buy those and throw them away and buy another one and throw it away. And So not the, not the eco option, but... 
Right. Maybe good for privacy. That's right. If you if you really want to be secure, that's one way to do it. One of the problems is though you cannot you have to have uh, you have to have everybody in your community that you're talking about throw their phones away at the same time so you come up as a totally new network. Otherwise, I, I was going to bring that up because you'll, as you'll soon be as you call a number right. that is associated with that's your right. name, that burner number becomes. That's a, how you trace them into the next change. Yeah, that's right. Okay, so Ladar, I want to put the same thing to you. Your three top What I tips. would say is rely upon technologies in which, that are both encrypted and in which you or your device controls the encryption key. Um, that at least makes the process a lot more difficult. I think there's a growing consensus in the information security community that the network is hostile and that as a result, what you need to do is either isolate or protect the devices that you're and your information on your very own device before it enters the network. So what does that mean? Uh, What does that look like for a normal person? I'm going to go home and tell my mom. She's convinced about the civil rights aspect, but now I need to tell her what to do. And that's the real problem is that somebody like your mom who doesn't know anything about computers and struggles just to use a simple webmail program, um, they're not going to understand how um, to use any kind of today's current encryption technologies. Which makes me think, how on earth are we going to reach a tipping point? How on earth are we going to get the regular population to take a stand on this if they can't even figure it out technically? Well, it's up to the engineers, the people like me, um, to produce a new generation of both devices and protocols that allow us to communicate securely without necessarily requiring the user to take any special steps to protect their communication. And then at some point, you're going to hit a hit a world, well, we're already starting to hit it with James Comey's recent comments, where the state is going to push back and try and prevent those products and technologies from taking hold. And it will be up to the public to decide if that's what they want or if they would prefer a world in which the state can listen to and monitor everything. Ladar, I know you had a final question for Bill. Well, I would just ask, you know, there's a new generation of of people with PhDs in mathematics that are interested um, and feel that same sense of patriotic duty that you did back in the 1960s. And what advice would you give them as they think about a career with the FBI, the NSA, the CIA um, that, you know, you wish you had known 40 or 50 years ago? I guess that uh, it's the it's the question it's the point that the power like in DC uh, tends to corrupt and you have to you have to maintain an, your integrity and character through the process absolute and, power and corrupts absolutely it does yes and and that's fundamentally what's going on here i mean given the the knowledge about people and all they're doing is saying we want more and more and more and they'll take whatever resources is necessary for them to try to manage it there's one real problem they have yet to overcome, uh, and, and it's not—it's uh, not the collection of data or the storage of it or the searching, like focused searching on the data. If they wanted to go after you or me, for example, they have the resources to do it. The people can go into that database, use our attributes, and pull the data out on us. Uh, but to be able to monitor the uh, much larger segment of the population, or even all of it. Uh, takes automation of uh, analysis, and they are no in no way capable of doing that yet. 
I mean, they're, they they can do simple things, but they can't do the, the the developments of profiles of interest or things of that nature that might alert them to upcoming events automatically. Uh, that's one of the things that's why the White House Big Data Initiative was issued, uh, I think, in early 2012, was because they were they were asking um, uh, industry to come up with algorithms that could go into big data or large data sets and uh, look at the data and figure out what in there was important for people to look at. Well, that takes an uh, that takes uh, the uh, that takes an automated process to do the analysis that people normally do of data. It's like how police uh, do their do their analysis of the information they have, or or militaries analyze other militaries, and so on, or how you analyze a crypt system or anything like that. It's a matter of how you can put automated algorithms together to do that, and they they are not in anywhere near doing that yet. But when they Eventually, you can see uh, that it would, they would succeed. I was, I was estimating it might take fifteen, maybe twenty years for them to do that. But once they do, that means that everybody on the planet is monitored almost continuously throughout the day. Well, I, uh, Bill, I actually think you're a little out of touch there. I think the the voice recognition systems and the algorithmic um, identification and profiling software that's out there has gotten very good at at least narrowing the amount of information that is flagged and therefore needs to be analyzed by human analysts. Yeah, see, that's not what I was talking about. Uh, What I was talking about more was the communities that are formed in either the phone network or the Internet or or banking or any of that and uh, figuring out all the transactions that are occurring between those commu- members of those communities and what that means in terms of intentions and capabilities of that community. Not not, not like individual p- profiling. So is there a solution, gentlemen, before we go? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's only a problem if you have a solution, right? And, and I <laughs> think... Right. I think we need to return to the world that we were in prior to 2001, where our intelligence agencies and our law enforcement were limited to targeted surveillance that was approved based on evidence against the individuals that they were targeting. Um, And that we need to lose this idea that harvesting everything and throwing it in database for later is not the ethical way of going about protecting ourselves. Yeah, that that's right. There's one other important aspect of that. Um, governments and populations of people of any country anywhere in the world cannot trust their intelligence agencies. In other words, you have to have a verification process that, that could be could work and function and verify what these agencies are telling you that they're doing and what data they have and what information they have that be able to verify that with, with or without their cooperation. Bill, so in other Bill words, brings up an excellent point, which is that I really believe what we need to get to is a world where you are told if you are placed under surveillance within a finite period of time whether you're charged with a crime or not. I mean, we're yeah, supposed and you to have, have, have a process to, to uh, challenge that. Yeah, we're, we're supposed we to no, be able no to challenge our to accuser that. in this country. Yeah. But if we never know that we've been accused of a crime, how do we go about doing that? And in many countries, if a company turns over information related to a customer, private information, they're required to notify that customer within one year, um, regardless of the outcome of the investigation. And I think we right. really need to get to a point like that here in the United States where – you know, after a finite period of time, the government either needs to charge and arrest that person or cease surveillance upon them. Okay, Bill, I have one last question for you before we let you go. 
I'm, okay. I'm picturing somebody, a normal person, maybe it's a mom like me, two kids, jogging, listening to this. They take off their headphones. What is the one thing they can go and do right now, right this minute, that would make you feel good about living the private life, living in a democracy? One thing. Well, the most important thing for the average person to do is get out and vote and fire the bums that got us to this point out. Just fire them out of office and vote them out and vote for people who will who will actually uh, live up to their oath of office, which is to protect and defend the Constitution and the rights of the people. None of the people in D.C. are doing that right now. And I think what we what we lack is a good way of identifying who those candidates are. That's why I suggest firing them all. <laughs> I mean, because they're all a party to it. They all got us to where we are. Actually, we have to fire them and get people in who actually uh, follow the law and prosecute these people. The reason I, I blame a lot of this on Jerry Ford, because Jerry Ford pardoned Nixon, and he was going to be he was indicted already. He was going to trial back in the seventies, and Jerry Ford, when he took over the presidency. Uh, decided to uh, pardon Nixon. He he claimed it was to save the save the country from the from the trial, you know, and and the tribulation that would go on because of the trial. When in fact it was a way of saying to the to every president, uh, you can do whatever you want. You have a get out of jail free card. It's the next president, and that meant that meant things could only get worse. So if you don't hold these people accountable making sure that they understand that they are not above the law and above the oath of office that they took, uh, they're going to continue to do what they're doing. Yeah, if we look at Obama on the campaign trail, he spoke out against secrecy, and yet his administration has become one of the most secretive in modern American history. Well, that's how, that's what power does to you. Great. We need to leave it there. Ladar Levison and Bill Binney, thank you both so much. Thank you, Manoush. Thank you, Bill. It was great meeting both of you, even if it was electronically, and and hopefully people heard what we had to say and took it to heart. All right. Thank you. That was Ladar Levison and Bill Binney. If you emailed us or you just liked what you heard, can you do me a little favor? Tell one single person about New Tech City. You know how to track us, iTunes, Stitcher, or just newtechcity.org. And tell us how else you think that we should cover surveillance and privacy. Seriously, because this issue is not going away, and we want people to understand it and care about it as much as you and I do. So email us, encrypted or not, at newtechcity at wnyc.org. I'm Anoush Samarodi. Thank you so much for listening to this little bonus episode of New Tech City.